0: Fantasy Football today from CBS Sports. Here we go! Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Here we go! It's time to dominate your fantasy league.
1: Let's go!
0: Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave,
1: Jamie, and Heath. David Montgomery to the Pro Bowl. And how about Patriots wide receiver Jacoby Myers? First team All-Pro. And obviously Daniel Jones to the Hall of Fame. Yes to all three of these, obviously. Welcome to the show here on Friday. A very fun Friday on the Fantasy Football Today podcast. We will finish up running back ADP. We will talk about the Duke Johnson trade. Really, they couldn't have done that before the running backs preview. That was kind of annoying. Um, And we will get into some preseason football, do some regulating, and bring on a special guest in just a moment. Dave, I'm not overreacting, am I?
0: No, not at all. And I'm just just—I'm proud of you for restraining yourself for about four seconds before bringing up Daniel Jones. But to be fair, to be fair, Mm -hmm. he looked fantastic. He he looked good. He did. A lot of quarterbacks look good.
1: Uh, Hey, Ben Gretsch, who's joining us today, at Yards Per Gretsch on Twitter. Dave is at Dave Richard. I am at Adam Azer. Uh, Ben, who are you putting in the Hall of Fame based on last night's games?
2: Uh, I mean, Baker Mayfield could, could go there just on on six pass attempts. I was really pumped about the Cleveland offense, how fast they played. Uh, yes. But yeah, I, Daniel Jones, I think. Yeah, I think he said Pro Bowl, but definitely start getting his bust ready. No, I uh, said, said I Hall said fame.
1: Hall
0: of Fame for, Dan- yeah. <laughs> okay. for Daniel Jones. Yeah. And I actually did a Twitter Adam poll. I will take him, last him to be all time president of the of the earth if he could right now. I did a Twitter poll last night.
1: I think it said, is Daniel Jones going to the Hall of Fame? A. Yes. B. Yes. Or C, too soon to tell. And I, I believe yes one at least the combination of the two yeses. Uh, all right, so in all seriousness, very some important takeaways from preseason week one already. I think what happened in the Broncos' backfield was really interesting and discouraging. I think what happened in the Chargers' backfield was interesting. We'll talk about it all. And, yeah, I was very impressed with David Montgomery. Were you
0: guys impressed with David Montgomery? It was it was pretty cool, pretty good stuff. Is it wrong if I say that I'm not impressed, but rather it's just what I expected? Sure. No, that's that's fine. I, and, and actually, I have a criticism on it. Okay. But for the most part, he's exactly what I think. Okay. All right, we'll get to that. So Houston
1: acquired Duke Johnson from Cleveland for a fourth-round pick that could become a third-round pick. Ben, give me your breakdown of uh, the fantasy impact of this trade.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think it's... Uh, It's maybe not as much of an impact as it immediately seems. Um, Lamar Miller's value was always going to be a little bit shaky because we didn't know who that second running back was going to be, but we expected them to add somebody and and bringing in Duke is probably more of a hit than, than people who have been drafting Lamar Miller would hope for. Uh, I think it really damages his potential to, uh, to, to hit any type of receiving ceiling, which he hasn't really done in Houston, Uh, And then Nick Chubb I mean it it definitely boosts Nick Chubb his potential for a massive workload but they really like Dontrell Hilliard in a similar role he only had nine touches last year they were all receptions so and and you still have Kareem Hunt coming back later so I don't know that it really changes Chubb's uh, like season long projection too much it just kind of raises his ceiling a little bit for me. I'm not necessarily jumping him up a ton because I I, I think that that Hilliard's still going to play as a second a second back and potentially in the passing game.
0: I'll tell you what, I I agree with Ben almost exactly. And it's funny because we we the Duke Johnson news came out after we recorded the podcast session but before FFT. And we went on FFT live noon Eastern, CBS Sports HQ, and Jamie and Heath were over the moon. For Nick Chubb, they they put him in round one. They said he's. I believe they both have him as a top five fantasy running back. They they are they are crazy for him now, just because Duke Johnson left town, and I don't get it. I I, I love Nick Chubb and I think he's got a chance to have a great year. But I know he's going to siphon off some work to somebody else, whether it's Natural Hilliard or somebody else. The the Kareem Hunt factor is is going to be there after eight games. It's going to be annoying. If Nick Chubb is great, it doesn't mean that. Kareem Hunt's going to do nothing, but he's going to spell him a little bit. And there will be times where the Browns will not want to have Nick Chubb on the field. They're going to want to rest him. Maybe they're going for a playoff run. So, Kareem Hunt's going to play then. I still I to me this trade almost didn't change anything for me with any running back in my rank. And it, it Chubb moved up a little bit. I can't I can't take Le'Veon Bell ahead of Nick Chubb anymore. I just I like Nick Chubb too much. But I'm not taking him in round one, not even in non-PPR. I can't bring myself to do it. Hmm.
1: Well, yeah, let's let's go through a few numbers. If you look at Nick Chubb after the Carlos Hyde trade, his pace in those games, week 7 through 17, was 282 carries, 1,317 yards, and 10 touchdowns. That's his pace when he started, plus 32 (laughs) catches for 238 yards and three touchdowns. When you remove Duke Johnson, you're not removing a, a 70 catch guy. Duke Johnson only had 47 catches last year. We've seen him have, a, I think, a 70 catch season uh, in his past when he was the number 11 running back in fantasy in 2017. He caught 74 passes, but last year just 47. But I'm I'm hopeful that Chubb can get at least 40 catches. He did have a stretch where he caught uh, like three three to three catches in three weeks in a row for 33 to 44 yards and two receiving touchdowns. So. <laughs> He showed he can do it. Caught a pass on the only drive he played in yesterday. Um, so moving him and, ahead of, ahead of Le'Veon Bell. And Ben, how about you? Would you take Le'Veon or or Chubb?
2: No, yeah, I would take Chubb. I I think you can certainly move him up a little bit because of the increased upside that I mentioned. But it's also worth noting. Yes, Chubb caught a pass last night. Dontrell Hilliard played a lot in passing downs last night. He caught three balls. He caught two on that first drive from Mayfield when they were in the the shotgun no huddle. So it does look like they're going to use him in a role similar to Duke Johnson. So it really does come down to that receiving side. I think we already projected Chubb to be a very strong runner in PPR leagues. You got to get plenty of catches. And you're right. I think he probably does have 40 catch upside at this point. But over the last two years, uh, with the rise of the the multidimensional dual threat running backs, the top nine backs in PPR, both of the last two seasons have had at least 50 catches. Mm hmm uh chubb could probably break that mold with 40 catches because i think he will be a very strong runner and and get plenty of touchdown opportunities as well but we are seeing more of a trend towards backs that do both and so he does need to catch more passes for me to have him as like a like like a running back seven like he just was in our in our average ranking there i don't think i'm going to bump him up that high necessarily unless we we find out for sure that he's going to play a lot more on passing downs and the fact that Hilliard was in with the first team offense caught two passes with the first team offense last night I think indicates that he might not be.
1: Okay, and it indicates that Hilliard so, himself might be a little bit of a sleeper. So that's a good absolutely. point. And we talked about Chubb a lot on yesterday's show and, and you can you can still apply a lot of what we talked about. Now, going to finish up here, Lamar Miller like 25 catch kind of guy. So, um but but look, there there are 3 years in a row. If you look at the other running backs on Houston, you're talking about around 150 to 160 carries, in addition to the well over 200 that Lamar Miller's been getting. They just run the ball so much. So, you know, what does this mean, Dave, for Houston? Does Duke Johnson set a career high? I think his career high is 104 carries. Does he, When do you draft him?
0: You know, how many catches do you expect from him? What, what are you thinking for the Houston backfield right now? In PPR, I would consider Duke Johnson in round 9 or 10. Non PPR bump it back around ten or eleven. Um, the the Texans wanted to get somebody to be in that passing downs role. It's clear they talked about it during the off season, and now they've got somebody with with Duke Johnson, and I think that he's going to be in line to get fifty or sixty catches, and maybe he'll go ahead and get you know seventy or eighty rush attempts. But I don't think that that changes too much for him. I think if there's any change at all, it's that he's got a a slightly better path to being an every down back because Lamar Miller with his 1600 touches and average, above average play, I think we can call it that, you know, solid play is in front of him rather than Nick Chubb, who just, you know, has so much potential that Duke's not going to get there. Right. So to me, it doesn't change Miller at all. I didn't move Miller up after they cut Deontay Foreman. I'm not excited to draft Lamar Miller unless I'm doing zero RB it's round six and he's there. Great. I've got a, I've got a body that will start the season as a lead running back and probably finish the season as a lead back. So that's pretty much all the nice things that I can possibly say about Lamar Miller and Duke Johnson's going to obviously have more value in PPR. Um, should get a bunch of catches. I, we, we did note Heath and I did the research. Uh, Heath did it correctly. i actually messed up when I did it. Um, Deshaun Watson has not thrown more than 17% of his target to running back in Houston in his two years there. And last year, that number was 13%. And one more thing, we know that Kiki QT got banged up in the preseason game on Thursday night. If that injury is more serious than initially believed, that would help Duke Johnson as a short area target for for Deshaun to lean on.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I could also make the case that What Saquon Barkley did for Eli Manning, what Christian McCaffrey did for Cam Newton, the way their completion percentages went up, I think Duke Johnson could have a really good effect on Deshaun Watson. And Ben, we'll wrap it up. I, I I think Deshaun Watson's a big winner with this trade. I think it's good for him.
2: Yeah, no, I I was going to say the Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey corollary is a really good one because Newton didn't throw to his running backs a lot prior to that. And there's a a much broader trend that running quarterbacks typically don't and because a lot of running back targets are on on plays that have broken down their checkdowns. But those athletic quarterbacks are willing to take off and run in those situations. So we if you look over a, a broader sample, you see that running quarterbacks, they just don't throw to running backs as much. Part of that, when you look at what happened with Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey, it might be that some of these quarterbacks that have extremely low rates didn't necessarily have that player on their roster yet. And maybe Duke Johnson is that player for Deshaun Watson, just like you said. You know, we, we said at the top that we weren't changing too much uh, in terms of guys like Chubb and, and Miller. But I'm totally in agreement with Dave that D- this really improves Duke Johnson's profile because he still uh, he, he still should play on passing downs and catch plenty of balls. I think his. His workload expectation goes up a little bit, just uh, his median workload expectation goes up a little bit, in part because, uh, you know, I think Chubb is more of a an every down back than than Lamar Miller probably is. And there's no Kareem Hunt looming in the late part of the season. But then I also think his potential to earn some of the early down work for the first time in his career went way up. So he becomes a priority late round pick for me as well. And I agree with Dave. Even in the late single-digit rounds, I think, is when you can start to consider Duke Johnson. He moves way up my board. He is the one big winner.
1: All right. Uh, Dave, I'm going to fire through the rest of the big news so we can start uh, finishing up our running back average draft position. Kiki Q T did leave with an ankle injury. It's apparently not a major one. There's no timetable for Antonio Brown's return from what might be Frostbite. Uh asked for, I, I guess, some reactions on Twitter, and one person put a, a gif of the puppet from Team America World Police vomiting all over the place. So I thought that was pretty appropriate I just don't know what to say about Antonio Brown's feet. But uh, yeah, do you think he'll be uh, ready for week one? And when are you going to start downgrading Brown?
0: I started downgrading already. He's a round three pick for me now. I'm um, going to let somebody else take him in round two. We'll see what happens. The fact that the, that the Raiders aren't saying anything and that they're still gathering information, I'm using air quotes, it just, just leaves a makes me worried makes me really worried. okay Andy Reid apparently said it's going to be running back by committee Dave yeah this is another thing that really worries me he was on Sirius XM NFL radio and you know all off season long both he and the offensive coordinator Eric the have been saying Damon Williams is our starter we're going to give him the chance and then he hurts his hamstring he's out for a week and now Reid is saying well I used to have running back by committee in Philadelphia and we're going to do it again and we got a lot of great guys. He mentioned Darwin Thompson twice when he was talking about his running back. Um, and we know that Carlos Hyde has been looking okay, I guess, with the starting unit. Um, there's I've got some serious concerns now about Damian Williams getting the type of role that we all envisioned all offseason. And it's, it's weird to me that it would take an injury for this to happen. But at the same time, it's almost like the coaches realized, oh, crap, if this guy can't stay healthy... We can't trust them either, and we're just going to have to go and, and use this committee approach. So it sucks, but I, I mean, I sank Damian Williams in my rankings when I heard that, and I know Andy Reid has lied about his running backs before. He's lied to my faith about running back before. Told me that Jamal Charles was a big part of the Chiefs, and then he cut him a month later. Let's just we'll wait and see. But you can't take Damian Williams in round two anymore. Uh, I'm hoping Ben doesn't take Damian Williams in round two anymore. I know he's been as excited about him as I've been. But truth hurts. They're talking about a committee now. It, it tells me that they're concerned about Williams being able to handle 13, 14 carries and five, six catches a game. Ben, would you
1: take him in yeah. round two or what? Or And, and would you, I know you no. don't really like Devante Freeman. Are you ready to move Devontae Freeman ahead of uh, Damian Williams?
2: I wouldn't take Freeman over Williams. Uh, I am slipping Williams down, but for me, that typically just means I'm, I'm moving receivers up because there's a certain point where I kind of stopped taking running backs in most of my drafts, but I'm much, much happier to get Williams in round three. Now I I am a little bit concerned in some of our recent mocks that we've done. I've been prioritizing a few other second round running backs that I hadn't earlier in the, in the offseason been prioritizing over Damian, but I will say there are some interesting ways to think about this committee first of all Damian Williams is very clearly going to be the lead passing downs back if there is a committee which is a big part of this and it's a big part of any Andy Reid offense because of how good his screen game is uh, I, I'm not sure where I saw it, but I saw a stat on Twitter I wish I could give the credit where it's due but um, expected points added on passes to running backs and it was looking at various teams to see if there was any kind of edge there and Reid's chiefs were just far head and shoulders above. So, and and just in terms of efficiency that they add in the passing game to the running back, they're the best in the league. And that will be good for whoever plays running back there. That'll be good for Carlos Hyde, who as I've mentioned in the past has been a very inefficient receiver throughout his career. But I I do think Damian Williams is the guy who profiles to get those catches, which is great in PPR. You're still going to get high profile touches. So even if this is a true committee, it's almost like an Alvin Kamara type workload. It's not something that you need to run and hide from, in my opinion. So, um, yes, I'm a little bit concerned. I'm concerned about his his hamstring. None of the reports are positive around Damian Williams right now, but part of the reason to really like him is the breakdown of the fact that he's going to get receptions and he's going to have a lot of touchdown potential.
1: All right, we got a couple of sponsors to tell you about today. One that I was just using this morning, NFL Game Pass. Go to nfl.com slash today. They have a seven-day free trial. You can watch every preseason game out of market. You can watch them live, nfl.com slash fantasy football today. And I cannot express to you how much I love the condensed mode. It is basically the greatest thing that has happened uh, to my life since my child has been born, although it existed before that too. But I, I watched every single game. Yesterday, not every play, but what I needed to watch because condensed mode is that great. SeatGeek is our other sponsor. Promo code on SeatGeek is FFT. Save 10 bucks on your first purchase. I've been all over the SeatGeek app looking for tickets to a football game in a few weeks. Uh, Anytime you want to go to an event, concert, comedy, whatever, uh, sports in particular, go to SeatGeek. Use the promo code FFT. We are going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're finishing up our average draft position review. Uh, for running backs and we'll start right around running back uh, 32 off the board and that's coming up right after this the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived thanks to the visionary minds of new balance clutch athletics and rich paul the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community with rising defensive football stars will anderson and chase young on the roster Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Rashad Penny, I did some stuff yesterday in the preseason. Now let's talk about him and his ADP. He's the first running back we're going to talk about. Uh, We left it off yesterday with the Tevin Coleman, Lamar Miller, Tariq Cohen, James White group. Now let's talk about some other guys. And actually, Darius Geis is in this group. Uh, he's, he's going ahead of Tariq Cohen. I think I'm looking at non-PPR, so let me change it to uh, half PPR here and get a little bit more accurate average draft position. But we're going to start talking about some guys who are in split backfield. So Rashad Penny, Darius Geis, Jordan Howard, and Miles Sanders. Uh, that's what we're talking about here. We're in the 70s overall in average draft position. And Dave, I'll give you the first word. So, yeah, again, we're looking at Geis, Rashad Penny, Jordan Howard, Austin Eckler. What do you think? You know, And then Latavius Murray and Miles Sanders. So, again, everybody who's in some type of committee, who are you looking at? Who are you favoring?
0: In PPR, the one I'm looking at the most right now is Eckler. Because he. I know he fumbled at the goal line against Arizona in the first preseason game. He looked... Fine, otherwise. Really good first, good vision, good hands out of the backfield, clear involvement, played with the starting unit on both of their drives quite a bit. And uh, I, I think he could be, I, I think he could have a monster year if Melvin Gordon sits out until he absolutely positively has to report, if he even reports at that date. So he's worth the risk of a round six pick at this point. And even if Melvin Gordon says, you know what? That contract that the Chargers were offering, it's fair. I'll take it. You know that Austin Eckler is still going to get 9, 10 touches per game. A lot of them will be in the passing game. He could be a good flex for you. Certainly a great bye week replacement at running back. So I don't think we would take him in round six if Melvin Gordon was there. But he still retains some value, which keeps the risk minimized when you take him in round six. Right behind him is Rashad Penny because... He's going to be in a tandem. We know he's going to play a lot each week. I think that both Seahawks running backs are going to be involved in the passing game a decent amount each week. Maybe two, three catches each. I I, I think that Rashad Penny has great value if something happens to Carson and also has decent standalone value as a bye week replacement running back from game to game. And then I'll ask you, Ben,
1: about the Eagles running backs and the Redskins running backs and when you're willing to take them and who you want to take.
2: Yeah, I mean, if it's Washington, it would be Darius Geis. But the short answer for those guys is that I'm I'm kind of fading their entire backfield. If I'm taking anyone, it might be Chris Thompson really late in the PPR league. I think he's still going to play and catch passes. And I think Geis and Peterson are going to especially with Geis's health, they're going to they're going to both play. That's what all indications seem to to be pointing towards. So you know, this sounds like a three headed monster in a backfield for an offense. That's not going to score a lot of points. That's not conducive to fantasy success, but for the Eagles, I think miles Sanders is a little bit more interesting. Um, the Eagles have been one of the heaviest committee teams over the last few years. It's been heavily discussed obviously. And and that's something that a lot of people are expecting to change this year with the addition of miles Sanders. And I think that's possible. I don't necessarily know that it's likely. The fact that they brought back Darren Sproles means that they, you know, they're they're gonna expect him to play on passing downs. They have Jordan Howard to play on on early downs and and potentially some goal line work. So Sanders is really gonna have to stand out to eventually earn a, a bigger share of the offense. But I think of all these guys on these two committee backfields, he's the one that I think can do that. And maybe midway through the season earns a 15-touch role that could be pretty valuable in a in a much better offense than Washington's. So he would be the one guy of this uh, of either of those teams that I'm considering in this range of the drafts.
1: Ben, who would you rather have, Austin Eckler or Miles Sanders?
2: Ooh, that's close. I think I might take Eckler. I mean, I I really like what Dave said, he he has this great combination of the passing game work and is going to get some goal line work. He's caught multiple touchdowns over the last couple of seasons. Uh, it's not a great sign that he fumbled on the goal line and then Justin Jackson converted a goal line rush later. And they're kind of competing to see who would have that role. But assuming that, that Melvin Gordon's holdout becomes, uh, a a real thing. I think Eckler has a lot more upside than, than Miles Sanders does at least early in the season. Um, I could see the argument for Sanders as more of a later, later season upside play, but uh, I would, I would probably go with the guy that I think is going to get a lot of touches early on, even if Gordon's back.
1: Eckler had 17 or 18 touches in three of four games that Melvin Gordon missed, and he those were the only three games he played that Melvin Gordon missed, so that's good. And a lot of those were catches as well. Um, there, there really are a lot of interesting running backs. I think Latavius Murray has has very favorable ADP in my opinion. Sean Payton said that Alvin Kamara's role isn't really going to change. So that leaves, you know, a lot of opportunity for Latavius Murray. Mark Ingram, I think, had 12 carries inside the 10, I want to say, in 12 games. So, you know, it's just, there's a lot of work in the red zone and near the goal line. And Latavius Murray going in the seventh round, and and sometimes a lot later than that. It really depends on the site you're looking at for average draft position. Uh, Dave, so Latavius Murray... Royce Freeman,
0: who would you prefer of those two? I'll take Latavia just because I'm the Broncos offense is kind of scaring me a little bit. I know Freeman had the nice run. Uh, he, <laughs> I believe he lost yards on either lost a lot of yards on one run or he lost a little bit of yardage on his other two carries. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a huge believer in Freeman, uh, so I'm, I'm not going to pick him Latavius in that Ingram role again, serviceable flex. If you need him. a very good number three running back, uh, you don't have to draft him and Kamara if you don't want to. He's 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 one of the number two running backs in the NFL that has very obvious standalone value.
1: Not to mention, this if Kamara
0: gets hurt, we're talking about huge upside, right? Monster workload. Right. Yeah. Monster, monster workload. He's
1: probably and, on a lot of Ben Gretsch teams. That's my guess, Latavius Murray. Yeah,
2: he's definitely somebody that I'm targeting. I mean, I, I talk a lot about the receiving and, and goal line work. I don't necessarily think uh, that he's going to get a massive receiving role right away, but you're right about the, the upside if something were to happen to Kamara, but... The, the red zone work for the Saints is unlike any other team in the league. The last three seasons, their running backs as a group have scored 27, 24, and 24 touchdowns. No other team's running backs in that span have had a season higher than 25 touchdowns. So the Saints' average over those three years is just over 25 touchdowns. It's more than any other team's highest season. This is a team that consistently will churn out 20-plus touchdowns for their running backs. Absolutely, is going to get 10, 14, maybe more of those. But Uh, there's still, it's really, really easy to still project about eight for Latavius Murray and and potentially double digits on the touchdown side of the equation. And then, and then like you guys are both saying, if something happens to Kamara, the upside in this offense would be really huge for him. He'd probably start to see more receiving work as well. So I think he's a very good, uh, target in the middle rounds for sure.
0: And I'll tell you what, I, I've, I've poo-pooed Latavius in the past and you just can't do it anymore. The, The way that he plays, he's got a nose for the end zone. Um, at least six touchdowns each of the last four years. He's had anywhere between 700 and thousand total yards each of the last three years. Opportunity has been something that's been, it was an issue last year, not so much the two years prior. And he's a decent pass catcher as well. 79% career catch rate. So he can, he can end up filling in for Camaro very well if something happens to him. And even if nothing happens to him, he could catch a couple of passes per game to kind of support that floor that he's. Mm-hmm. Uh uh-huh. Yeah, let me
1: let me yeah, so, no team.
0: Let, let's sum it up. Let, let me sum it up and, and ask you this, right?
1: Beginning uh, basically round seven in a 12-team league. We're in the 70s and ADP and going a, a few rounds here. Some of the running backs coming off the board. I'm going to read the names, and, and again, I just want names because we already talked about them, but uh, just to kind of put a bow on it. Tell me the guys that you feel like you're going to be owning, you know, that you're going to want to have a share of. Rashad Penny, Miles Sanders, Latavius Murray, Darius Geis, Austin Eckler, Daryl Henderson, who I haven't mentioned, Jordan Howard, and Royce Freeman. Um, I said a lot of names there. Ben, who are the ones that you think you'll own the most?
2: We start to get into this range where I start to pick up running backs again in drafts. So I'll own a lot of those guys. But for me, it's always that combination of receiving and touchdowns. Um, Jordan Howard's one that I wouldn't necessarily... But a lot of those names, and especially younger backs that can potentially break out, are guys that I will have some. I mean,
1: okay, so Eckler,
2: yes. Penny, yes. Miles Sanders, yes. Um, Daryl Henderson, yes. I want to get some shares of all those guys.
1: Who's your very literally name? I'm sorry, Dave. Ben, who's your, oh, your number ahead. one?
2: I have Henderson and Penny ranked the highest of that group. Um, and then Ronald Jones and Sanders come in a little bit lower for me. And Latavius Murray right behind them.
0: Dave, what do you got? I got six names in a row in my running back rankings in PPR that you've mentioned. Eckler is at the top of the list. Then Penny, then Latavius, then Miles Sanders, then Daryl Henderson, and then Jordan Howard at the, not on that group, but the last name is Geis for the reasons Ben mentioned. It's a bad situation for him. I don't see him having a lot of 15 plus touch week. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, Eckler would be higher in my rankings too. I just haven't moved him up enough yet.
1: I just want to point out that yesterday, I do think the two most revealing things in preseason, in my mind, uh, other than how good David Montgomery looked, what the Chargers backfield looked like and what the Broncos backfield looked like. And they both really looked like, uh, you know, that they wanted to be pretty close to 50-50, although Eckler no, got more work, but both Eckler and Jackson worked on the opening series, both got work at the goal line. Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, both of them got work near the goal line. Both of them got at one catch. There was a 50-yard run for Royce Freeman. I thought Philip Lindsay, even though the numbers weren't great, four carries for 10 yards, I thought he, he looked good like he always did. So it's just those are kind of scary situations. But right now, Royce Freeman does have, I think, good ADP in round eight when Philip Lindsay is going uh, probably in round five now after yep. you know some of the reports.
2: There's a really important note on that, and that's just the overall offensive uh, potential. So for the Chargers, Phillip Rivers has thrown, I think it's seven running uh, touchdowns to running backs in each of the last two years. He uses them in the red zone through the passing game. We saw it with Danny Woodhead back in the day. And, and again, we, we just, we're just talking about the Saints. That's the type of offense that you can have a committee and still have an elite running back in it. Uh, so when you, you know, I, I'm a little bit more concerned about the committee with certain teams than others. And that's what you really got to consider when it comes to the committees.
1: Okay guys. Uh let's go to the next group of running backs here. Ronald Jones, Kareem Hunt. Uh real quick, Dave, draft Kareem Hunt or no? He's he's going so early,
0: 8th round. Jeez. I yeah, that's terrible. I hate spending that type of draft capital on somebody who I'm not going to be able to use for the first more than half of the fantasy season and the first half of the NFL season. You know he's not going to be there. I can I can bring myself to draft him. In round 11 or so when I draft Nick Chubb. Otherwise, I'm pretty much never drafting Kareem Hunt.
1: Okay. So after Kareem Hunt, we're looking at Ronald Jones, Damian Harris, Adrian Peterson, Jalen Samuels, LaShawn McCoy, and Peyton Barber. Ronald Jones, both Bucks guys, Damian Harris, Adrian Peterson, Jalen Samuels, and uh, LaShawn McCoy. Dave, your thoughts?
0: Oh, there's, there's a lot of names in there that I'm not excited about at all. <laughs> like? Not a great group. Uh, I'm not excited at all about LaShawn McCoy. Um, I, I expect Devin Singletary to be that guy. Uh, I Devin Singletary didn't show a lot in the first preseason game, but he was evading tacklers and doing some I of the things him. that he I did. I liked him, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, his college film is just unbelievable. Uh, somebody who's in this range, who I've moved up, obviously, in the last day, is Carlos Hyde. Just because of the apparent committee coming to Kansas City, and he seems to be best suited for early downs work there, so he can't ignore that anymore. He he's he's not the same guy that he used to be, but another running back who, if you're going zero RB, can get you off to a decent start. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: And Jamie talked about Jalen Samuels as a sleeper. Davis talked about how he likes Damian Harris. We're gonna keep an eye on the Bucks backfield, but Ben is certainly rooting rooting for Peyton Barber. And by the way, we're we're past pick one hundred <laughs> at this point. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Stop rooting for Ronald Jones. Sorry, he's rooting for Ronald Jones. Uh, I Ronald- thought that was digital. No, that was a total total slip up there. Uh, uh, all right, so I'll Ben
0: root for I'll root for Barber.
1: <laughs> I'll root for Ronald Jones. Ben to uh, to wrap it up, and I'm sorry, I just don't think we can go too much farther here. We're already fifty running backs in. Kalen Balazs, sure. Jarek McKinnon or let's say Matt and Matt Brita, Devin Singletary, Justin Jackson. He's going probably too late at 128th overall on fantasy football calculator. Yeah. He's Duke, a top 100 pick. Duke Johnson's ADP. He's is obviously going to rise. Uh, Ito Smith. Uh, I'm not sure it's not Hill. Who's going to be the backup to Freeman. I don't know, but I know Ito
2: looks
0: terrible.
1: He's yeah. And he didn't really do much last year either. Um, ben, who are some late round picks that you want to speculate on?
2: Yeah. I mean, breed is a big one. I I think McKinnon, he just had another setback. We expect him yeah. to not really actually play now throughout the preseason. It sounds like, or at least for the next couple of weeks, he's going to be out. So breed, I think should be jumping up draft boards. He was their leading rusher and almost every, a, a leading running back in almost every category, including the receiving side last year. Uh, obviously Tevin Coleman's there, but I, I'm expecting a Coleman burrito duo for the most part going into the season. Um, Duke Johnson is, a, is a definitely a name that I would target that you just uh, mentioned. Jalen Samuels, again, pass-catching profile in a good offense if opportunity opens up, if an injury happens, which we're all hoping doesn't happen to anybody, but it does happen sometimes at the running back position. If that opens up and he gets more rushing work, he would have extreme upside uh, in Pittsburgh. So that's kind of the profile of the player I'm looking at. You can you can pretty much guess my other targets on that list based on that. Who who has a receiving profile in their background? Who's on a good offense that can get touchdown work?
1: Yeah, and Jamal Williams and Dexter Williams for the Packers probably need a look as well. Dexter Williams had 14 carries for 62 yards with Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones hurt. Uh, so keep an eye on them. Reichwell Armstead might be the handcuff to... We'll talk about handcuffs in a little bit, to Leonard Fournette. Uh, and Alfred Morris is going 61st overall at running back 161st overall, and he might get some work if Ezekiel Elliott holds out. All right. When we come back preseason review, uh, we got a lot to talk about here and we won't overreact. I promise, but we will certainly react. And then we are going to read your emails. We're going to read some five-star review questions. We are going to do some regulating. stick around more to come on fantasy football today.
0: This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,
1: I want to thank everybody for all your five-star reviews like this one. Out of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath, who is most likely to Google themselves? And why is it Heath? I like that. Uh, Somebody telling me that I pronounced the word important wrong. I say with a D instead of a T. So I will work on that. And uh, one person saying the only reason he's seen the movie Die Hard at age 28 is because of our show. That shouldn't be the case, but I'm glad we got you to see the movie Die Hard. And uh, you're 28 years old and didn't want to see Die Hard. That makes me feel old. Uh, Ben, who was a big preseason standout for you on Thursday night?
2: I'm going to say the whole Browns offense. I loved the fact that the first team offense played out of the shotgun, played fast. Uh, Three or four of their snaps came with 20 plus seconds on the play clock. We do see a little bit more no huddle typically in the preseason, but I'm expecting and hoping that this offense is going to be very vertical this season with the addition of Todd Monken from Tampa Bay as their new offensive coordinator. He has a history in very vertical passing games, and so does Freddie Kitchens from last year with the Browns, and they had plenty of air yards, too, prior to that being with Bruce Arians in Arizona, which was a very vertical passing game. Uh, So both their head coach and their offensive coordinator seem to favor that type of an offense, spread them out, get routes going downfield. And, And last night what we saw from Baker was he ended up getting the, the defense backing off a lot and checking down to the running backs plenty, but it's, it's a very modern offense. It's great for fantasy production. I'm very excited about the Browns' offense after what I saw last night. Well, Dave. to be fair,
0: the, yeah. the broadcast said that they were going to come out and pretend it was the two-minute drill. So okay. I don't know if that's exactly going to be what the Browns do all the time. If they did, it would be amazing. But I, I think there's a lot to take away there. Baker looked great. The receivers that he threw with looked great. And the checking down was also a huge factor, and I think we'll continue to see that. Um, a lot stood out to me. We, we talked about David Montgomery. Um, I, I think that just about everything they did at Iowa State was on display against Carolina's backups. I wish he were a little bit faster. And I think yeah. you can see that when you watch him play, that he, he's got this whole arsenal of moves. He reminded me of Brett the Hitman Hart, the <laughs> excellence of execution, because he was, he was he had so many tricks up his sleeve, so many ways that he could make plays just a master technician uh, as, as as master of a technician as you can be when you're as young of a running back as he is, but he does not have that breakaway speed. And so that means that he's just going to have to have a good amount of volume um, in order to be very helpful for fantasy. We talked yesterday about how many touches he could have. I think that there will be games this year where he will have 20 touches. I think most weeks it'll be around 15, but Uh, The the, the short yardage touchdown he had against the Panthers is evidence enough that he can handle that role. Uh, And I think the team kind of rallied around his style. I think the Bears like him a lot. Um, You saw after the touchdown, he had a big old hug with Matt Nagy. I I could see him finding 1,000 total yards and seven touchdowns this year. I'm ready to take him in late round four. I would hope for more than that, to be quite
1: honest. But, yeah, that wouldn't be so bad. But, look, obviously you've heard me on this show expressed some concern about David Montgomery because of that 40 time and because of the yards per carry in college. Very unimpressive. But his college coach at Iowa State said he was the best route runner on the team, which included the receivers. And Matt Nagy said that he has some of the best vision he's seen in a long time. So maybe he's just the kind of guy who can overcome his uh, lack of elite speed. And I just thought he looked great. It's one preseason game against backups. I'm pretty sure it had to be against backups, at least some backups. So, um, you know, we'll... We'll temper it a little bit, but definitely a good start for him. Uh, My standout was Montgomery, but I, and I mentioned the splits in the Chargers and Broncos' backfields. Anything else that really stood? I mean, there were some other guys, Dolphins wide receivers and Patriots wide receivers we got to talk about. I think, I know this is kind of crazy and deep, but Corey Davis didn't play, but Adam Humphreys got so many targets to Marcus Mariota, and I yep. do wonder, in the 14-team PPR league or something like that, if maybe Adam Humphreys should be a guy that we're looking at
0: with a late round there pick. is a there is a swelling of slot receivers who are going to be interesting late round PPR picks. Jamie's talked about Gray Quinn with the Redskins, I've talked about Brent Taylor with the 49ers, and I think I think Humphreys is going to be another one of those guys. This is going to be the slot receiver for Tennessee to begin the year and yeah, very good opportunity for him to continue to rack up six targets in the game. I believe they were all from Mariota, right? I think so. I mean it was like it called came think really so early, if not all most. Right. And it just it makes sense to me that an offense that wants to be conservative like Tennessee will use a short area target frequently. And Humphreys will be the main one of those guys. Delaney Walker will also get in there. Walker's shot up my rank list. He's a top ten fantasy tight um, uh, end. Okay. Um, let me
1: let me move the, on from that. Humphries
0: Humphreys makes sense as someone who is deserving of some attention.
1: Let's talk about Kalen Bellage and Kenyon Drake. The, the final numbers for Kenyon Drake don't look good, but I, look, they're going to have some offensive line issues. If you watch that game, his first carry was something like nine nice. yards. It was yep. really nice. It was nice. a nice run. And unfortunately, he was kind of bottled up a lot too, but he got the first work. Um, Dave, where are you right now in the Dolphins backfield?
0: I'm not excited about either one. Uh, if I had to pick one, it's still Drake. I think he's best suited to handle it, win a game, and they're trying to score a touchdown late to get back into it against Whoever they're playing, and, and he would be the one in there. Uh, I was watching this game with my wife late last night, and I I used a disparaging comment for Kalen Bilodeau on one of his first runs, and then he later scored and he, he looked great on. I Can't remember if it was a catch or a run, but he had a real nice play. It was It was a run, 16 yards, um, and then he scored later on the drive. So I took back the disparaging remark that I made about him. But yeah. I don't think I don't think I don't think either one is going to help you. Win your fantasy league. I think Balaj will provide nice depth. I think Drake can help you in PPR more than Balaj will. But don't seek them out. If if they, settle for them. You wouldn't take them both. Maybe round but, five PPR yeah, on Drake.
1: Rounds round five or six for Drake. He's currently going in round six and a half PPR. Round eleven for Balaj. Which ADP do you like better, Dave?
0: <sighs> Probably Drake. I, listen, Bellage in round 11, it's hard to argue with, but I don't know how often I see myself starting him, and I don't think he's going to end up being a breakout player this year unless something happens to Drake.
2: I think you you got to like Drake more because of his receiving, but I think I would take Bellage at ADP, personally.
1: Okay, uh, ben, wide receivers. Jacoby Myers for the Patriots. He caught two touchdowns, a three-yard touchdown pass, a five-yard touchdown pass. Maurice Harris caught a touchdown. And Nikhil Harry had two catches for 36 yards. He's been dealing with a little bit of a leg injury. He limped off. Um, so you've got that those Patriots wide receivers. Preston Williams for Miami. Big day for him. They're, they're getting excited about him. He's an undrafted free agent. Four catches for 97 yards. Heath put in like 6% of his budget in a dynasty league on Preston Williams and got him. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, the Patriots guys, the Dolphins guys, Miles Boykin had a nice touchdown catch called back. You won't see that in the stats, but he, Boykin for the uh, Ravens had four catches for 39 yards on nine targets, uh, plus that touchdown call back. Uh, did any young receivers stand out to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, they all played really well. I For me, it's going to be the guys that have the draft capital. So Boykin, they actually used uh, a, a pretty high value. I think it was a third-round pick to get him in Baltimore I think he definitely has the potential to earn some playing time this season. Myers, I think, is really interesting, but the Patriots have a long history of guys like this. UDFA's flashing. Uh, to me, I was actually more encouraged by Harry, their first round pick, making a few pretty good plays. He made a nice diving catch on a little bit of a comeback route. Um, when they have everything, when they, when they have everybody up to full speed, I don't necessarily expect Myers to be on the field a ton. He might, you know, get the start like we saw from Kembrell Tompkins a few years ago. Uh, I, I believe Tompkins started in in week one and it was kind of just like a nod to how well he played throughout the training camp. But he wasn't actually a fantasy performer throughout the season. But Myers looks interesting, certainly. Um, and then and for Miami, I just again, similar to New England, a very deep receiving core. Uh, I I don't actually think Preston Williams. I think he has the potential to make the team. I don't think he's actually going to push Kenny Stills or Devonte Parker or Albert Wilson uh, or Allen Hearns if he makes a team or. Uh, uh, Jakeem Grant, who also played a, a decent amount last year. I, I just don't think he's going to push this entirely deep receiving core for snaps, for significant snaps, to where he'd be fantasy relevant.
0: Okay. Miles Miles Boykin is going to start for both
2: Sure, he, yeah, he, I can see that.
0: He seems a lot more polished than the typical rookie. One thing I noticed, and this is just like, this is the scout in me, I guess, his get-off off the snap is great. Just that quick burst off the snap he can get like that extra half second that a lot of other receivers don't have to get himself open and into get himself into his route and then hopefully get open so i i I could spend a late pick on miles boykin and i moved him ahead of hollywood brown in my rankings. would you rather have miles boykin or Nikhil harry harry is still ahead of boykin for now let's let's face it i'd rather have the rookie receiver playing for the patriots than the rookie receiver playing for
1: And then let's finish up talking about some quarterbacks here. Lamar Jackson's number's not bad. He didn't attempt to rush, but four for six for 59 yards and a touchdown. I do not think that he played very well. Uh, He made some bad throws. One uh, completion that he had, I think, was intended for another receiver, and the broadcasters thought so as well. Um, And Josh Allen, I thought, looked terrible. He made too many bad passes out of only 11 passes. So, I don't know. Not exactly... I'm not saying I'm doing anything in my rankings or that I don't consider them sleepers anymore, as I still do, but I don't think it was a very good
0: foot forward here for Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. Dave, do you agree or disagree? I I didn't watch all of Lamar Jackson. I only watched the beginning. I think maybe just the first drive, and he seemed okay on the first drive. Condensed mode, um, baby. Condensed huh? mode. Well, I'm, I'm watching the games live, and I'm jumping around, and I yeah. just lost track of the Ravens no, of game because, yeah. I mean, basically all backup playing pretty soon after the game started anyway. Jacksonville didn't even play any of their starters, so I watched a good amount of Buffalo, and I watched Josh Allen, and I agree with you. There were, I think, like four of his first six passes were just way off the mark. He's fun to watch, but he's just he's he can't be trusted. Okay,
1: um, let's get some some. Oh, the rookie quarterbacks. Kyler Murray looked good, very very conservative, nothing downfield. Daniel Jones looked nope. good. Dwayne Haskins has a good arm, but he's not throwing it to the right team, which means. Case Keenum is probably going to start week one for
0: them, right? Probably. Yeah. Daniel Jones is probably going to. Hold Daniel it, Jones should start week one, by the way. <laughs> it- Too soon to Get say that. Game. Get it over with. Too soon to In say that. In the immortal play. words of Pete Prisco play the kid. Play the kid, yeah. Uh,
1: all right. Let me read some questions here. And I always promise you I'm going to read your five star review questions. So some of the ones I saw from Apple Podcasts, from iTunes. Who is the most overrated player of this fantasy football season? Ben, what say you, the most overrated player?
2: Ooh, um, I guess I'll take Le'Veon Bell. I just think, you know, I, I think he has plenty of upside, but I don't think people are reacting enough to the change in scenery. He used to get such a massive share of the backfield for Pittsburgh, catch a ton of balls. Uh, we also know that the Jets are going to probably play a lot slower than Pittsburgh used to play. There's not as many touches available. He probably won't get as big of a share of the backfield. Uh, and there's actually probably a little bit of concern that he can have the same type of receiving upside that he had playing with Ben Roethlisberger, who would always extend those plays and dump down to him. He's a guy that I'm I'm avoiding at the top of drafts. I know there's a lot of people that are on him, but um, he's not he's not it for me.
0: Yeah, I can't take him in round one. Um, round two, you could talk me into it, but not round one. Uh, David Njoku is, has been overrated and continues to be overrated. When I see him go as one of the first 10 tight ends in the drafts that I'm in, I actually feel good about it because somebody else is taking a player that I don't want, which means a player that I will want has a better chance of falling to me. He's a top 100 pick I on ADP. I wouldn't take him in the top 100. He is, he's behind a lot of the streaming tight ends that I'd rather begin the season with.
1: All right, that's David Njoku. From Alex, how do you set up a keeper league? How many players? How long can you keep them?
0: And if it's an auction,
1: so what is the price? Dave, what would you recommend setting up a keeper league in an auction?
0: Okay, so in a in an auction, I would have it where if you want to keep a guy from the last year to this year, you have to add 5 bucks to his price from what you got him at the auction the year before. So if you got a guy for a buck, James Conner for a buck last year, this year he'll cost 6 The year after that, he'll cost 11 How many years can you keep him? You can keep them as long as you want, but you got to keep paying the price for them each year.
1: How many keepers?
0: Three. All
1: right, Ben, next question's for you. Keep two of these three George Kittle in round nine, Aaron Jones in round 12, Damian Williams in round 16.
2: I guess, man, I want to know if I could keep them for multiple years because that would lead me towards Kittle and Jones more. But uh, I think I'd probably be Williams and Kittle without knowing that. I, Williams, I think, has less potential, obviously, to be a keeper again next season, But uh, whereas I think Jones does. But, yeah, for me, it would definitely be Kittle. And then, depending on the, the length of how long you can keep a guy, Williams, if you're really playing for this year, Jones for longer term.
1: Dave, uh, this is a question from Apple Podcast. I drafted Kyler Murray with my last pick, but Lamar Jackson is on waivers. Who do I take? Kyler. And this one makes me sick. It is from Tebow904. And it says, Go Gators. Hey, Jim, Dwight, Michael, and Pam. That's the office. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys use a lot of if-then scenarios when talking about draft strategy in the first two to three rounds. Can you explain the logic in not drafting directly from your top 200 list for at least the top 18 to 24 players? This is, Ben, this is the kind of email I would expect from a Gators fan. Um, but why don't we go ahead and answer it anyway? Why don't you just draft uh, based on your top 100 list or 200 list for the, your first two or three picks?
2: It's. I mean, I actually I I tend to I I tend to have kind oh, of a script Gator's of, of top players of of how I want to go. I th- I think you can go a lot of different directions in the first couple rounds. It's the third or the fourth round where I start to know what positions I want to target. So I I actually agree with the with the emailer that I think it's fine. Uh, I'm interested in Dave's take because uh, I'm interested in these if-then ideas.
0: Well, I don't think you go crazy with the if-then. I just think you use a little bit of logic when you draft. And if you're up and there's only one running back that you really love and there's five or six receivers, you know you can get a oh, receiver sure. with your next pick. I, I think in round one it makes sense to just stick to your big board. Round two, you'll probably stick to it a lot more. In round three, just yeah, don't be a don't be a slave to the rank list. Don't be a robot if it makes sense with whoever the top guy is, go ahead and take him. Usually that worked out for me too. But sometimes if, if if value will present itself later and you know that value will be there, you go in a different direction. Okay. And that really applies to quarterback drafting, by the way.
1: Here's an email from David. David, uh, Dave, where's David from? He is from Pensacola, Florida. I knew it. I knew you were going to say that. I knew. I was like, in my head, I was like, he's going to say Pensacola. Wow. If you get Alvin Kamara...
0: That is one of the weirdest things that I've seen you, heard you say, seen you say because you're right there, but heard you say on the podcast. And you believe it That's too. crazy. Like, it's an obvious re- All right. I'm going to think of a number one through 10 right now. What is it? Six. Holy cow. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> if you get Kamara. I'm freaked out what... right now, Ben. What, what, is... what is happening?
1: <laughs> David, and I are simpatico here. Uh, if you get Alvin Kamara, guys... what is the priority of getting Latavius Murray on a scale of one to 10? Two. I agree too. I'll, I'll bump it up to five because I like Latavius Murray's ADP independently, so it makes it makes it a little bit more palatable. Um, sure, but if you're we, are, taking, how Tamera, happy would
0: you be starting both of them in the same week?
1: No, nah, but I I think you're drafting Murray as a bench player.
0: You know where he's going, so yeah, I, I, I think guess you can right. start and
2: both. And
1: because yeah, because of all the touchdowns in both. the
2: back and mm. non
1: PPR, yeah. I don't yeah, want to start you, you could both.
2: because of all the touchdowns but what I would say is if you're taking Camara in the first round you're hoping that a lot more of those touchdowns go towards Camara so you're already like you're already kind of leaning towards a specific strategy yeah. and I think you want to try to maximize upside I think taking both as a floor play you're probably going to get plenty of production out of the combination of the two but Murray's ADP is high enough that I don't want to handcuff at that point. That's too early for a handcuff for me. I want to take another upside player in in the range where you'd have to take Murray. But well, is what is that player. range
0: is what now? We've talked about it on the show. It's like round 7. Uh, by then no, I, not a...
2: Murray has upside. I think when you're as soon as you take Camara in the first round, you're hoping Camara hits the upside of his range of outcomes, which would be a really high share of the red
0: zone work. I don't, don't look, really look at it as pure handcuffing. I don't they're think both, that's just a pure handcuffing. It's handcuff. not. Yeah, they're both going to
1: get red zone work. I mean, uh, and they're both going to get quite a lot of red zone work based on what we've seen from Kamara and Ingram. And yeah, you are talking about round seven for Latavius Murray, um, and early round seven. If you have if you have Kamara, obviously, because you're talking about an early pick in round seven, picking top four. Uh, I just it, I do see it as an upside play, and I also see it as a cover your butt play because he, his upside is if Kamara gets hurt, he's amazing. And you're saying to yourself, well, if Kamara gets hurt, my season isn't ruined because I have his backup.
0: Yeah, I'm changing my answer. I have a new number. Adam, what's my new number? It's five. No, it's sick. Oh. We were damn. we we, were, we had something going now, and now you botched it.
1: <laughs> uh Alvin from Los Angeles wants to know how long a slow best ball draft should last.
2: Less than a week. I hate how long those drafts take sometimes. Yeah.
1: That sounds about right. Okay. Um, Steve wants to know, in his Dynasty League, another guy and I were discussing swapping Bellage and Jordan Reed. I need a tight end badly. I assumed we were taking uh, talking a straight swap. Then he said he wants to provide insurance on the trade. If Bellage or Reed doesn't perform well during the season, for example, if Bellage hits big and Reed is a bust again, there would be compensation in the form of a pick or something, and vice versa. I questioned oh, him that- on how we set parameters on performance What would require compensation? How uh, how would we evaluate it? And what worked and what didn't? What do you guys think about this concept of, you know, if he does well and you know, what do you think?
0: That is the lamest, (laughs) limpiest thing. (laughs) Why would you? Oh, tell him there's no deal. Go find a different tight end.
2: Make make the trade or don't make the trade. You don't. I mean, this is like you're afraid to, to. to, right. uh, to trade away a well, player if or make it a-
0: bad, then I'm allowed to get an extra draft <laughs> net and you have to fill my tires with air and buy me a new disco ball. Filling you, your you know, tires with air. Get out of here. Make a trade and it's done.
1: I filled my tires with air two weeks ago. There needs to be a sink near the air thing. It is the dirtiest job in the world. And like there's there, the bathrooms at gas stations are not ideal. So you've got filthy hands. It's, a, it's there. Needs. There needs to be Purell or like a, a little wash station next to it. And that is all I have to say. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to let Dave go because he we got to end our video show. Ben and I, and I haven't brought this up with Ben, but I'm going to tell him what we're doing. I think he's going to be cool with it. We're going to hang around for another five minutes or so, and we're going to regulate. You cool with that, Ben?
2: I'm, I'm ready for that. That sounds great. great. So
0: I can't help people with their league problems anymore now you're kicking me off the <sighs> podcast thanks <laughs> a lot adam it's a fun you segment. Know, five minutes ago we were sharing a brain and now you're booting me i'm sorry Dave. Oh, i'm sorry the worst have a have a real great weekend everybody
1: dave na 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 all right that's dave richard uh thanks to all of you watching on video we're gonna say goodbye on video we're gonna come back and we're gonna regulate in just a second all right it is time adam azer ben Gretch, Nate dog warren J. regulating your league issues Send us an email, cbsi.com, Put fantasy football or put fantasy regulators in the subject line. All right, the first one is from Craig in St. Paul, Minnesota. I play in a 12-team non-PPR keeper. uh, Oh, damn, I went early there. Non-PPR keeper league. Each year, teams can keep up to two players. Players are kept two rounds ahead of where they were drafted or in the eighth round for free agent pickups. A couple years ago, Julio Jones got hurt late in the season and was dropped. I picked him up trying to keep him for an eighth-round pick and was told I couldn't keep him because he had been drafted in the first two rounds. So in this league, if you draft somebody in the first two rounds, they can't be kept because you have a two-round penalty. Um, This season, one team wants to keep Amari Cooper in the eighth round because they picked Cooper up after he was dropped by the owner who drafted him in the third round because he started the season off poorly. I raised the issue that he should be kept where he was drafted, and the owner, trying to keep him, who's also the commissioner, stated that the rule is only for players who were injured and doesn't apply to players who were dropped for poor performance. So the commissioner says, no, you picked up Julio Jones because he was injured and got dropped, but you can't keep him at, his, uh, at a free agent value. But I'm keeping Amari Cooper at a free agent round eight value because he was dropped due to performance. What do you say, uh, Ben? Is this as garbage as I think it is?
2: Yeah, it's garbage. I mean, you you got to go with the, the round that he was drafted in. It's funny. I actually play in a league with my college buddies. It's a keeper. Same rules. Essentially, they only move up one round, but free agents are eighth round. And our bylaws, I guess, are a little bit more clear. They They clearly say any player who's drafted his draft round sticks with him. The, the injured, not injured reason for a player got that got drafted should have nothing to do with whether or not the draft round stays with him, especially if there's already a precedent in place that uh, Amari Cooper had to be kept in, yeah. or excuse me, Julio Jones had to be kept in the round that he was drafted in as opposed to the eighth round. This is nonsense.
1: Absolute crap and consider it regulated. Let's go to Brad's email. Hey, regulators. I am the commissioner of a 12-team, six-keeper league, which is now entering its second season. It was made clear that six keepers were not required, but if you did use your keepers, they counted as rounds pick, uh, as picks one through six. My team was a pro- atrocious last, uh, last season, and I only kept one player, David Johnson. So I have five slots to fill in rounds two through six. Five other picks need to be filled on other teams in the league before round six is complete. The issue is that teams that did keep all six guys, I don't get this, They want rookies to be held out of the pool until round seven so that all the teams have an equal shot at drafting them instead of the four teams having the first crack at them, the ones who didn't keep all six players. The perception is that I am taking advantage where I'm just trying to climb my way out of the basement. Why? I don't get – what's with these people? Why would rookies not be eligible to be drafted here?
2: Yeah, it's – doesn't make a lot of sense i mean obviously i think the reasoning is that they couldn't have possibly been keepers they wouldn't have been on rosters last year uh and i assume that once you pull out that many keepers out of the player pool that -hmm. rookies are going to fill up the top of the draft but i mean in deep dynasty leagues where free agents are are locked over the offseason there's usually a rookie and free agent draft it sounds like it's going to be similar to that if these guys want those rookies then they don't keep the players it's I mean I, I think this is easy. The rookies should be involved in those rounds.
1: Of course they should be. These are you know, these are good questions, but you know, like why are our listeners playing with such clowns? That's what <laughs> I wanna know. And that one I'd say you can consider it regulated. So here we go, last one is from Steve in a small Connecticut town, not Bristol. I'm gonna say it's the one where the aquarium is, and I can never remember the name of it, but it's a very cool aquarium in Connecticut. Dear Jonathan, Christopher James, and John Luke. My buddy Brett and I have had a running disagreement for, there it is, two years now. Why am I so off musically today? So Brett and I have a disagreement. He listens to your podcast, too. I'm hoping you can make a ruling. The question is, was it an acceptable move for me to tank my matchup in week 14 of 2017? Very briefly, the situation. It was the week before the playoffs in our Dynasty League. Four-team bracket, weeks 15 and 16, are the playoffs. The top four teams had clinched. The only question was seeding. Brett was in first place and I was in fourth. I decided to tank my week 14 matchup to guarantee that I stayed the fourth seed, ensuring that I would play Brett in the semifinals because his RB1, Ezekiel Elliott, would be out suspended for week 15. I was pretty sure the number two and three teams would beat me if I played either of them in the semifinals. Without telling you the outcome yet, was this an acceptable move or is tanking always bad?
2: Yeah, I am on the tanking is always bad scenario. This is a scenario like this, the specifics here make it seem okay. Uh, But I've been in leagues where people have done that the last week and it's actually cost another team, a playoff spot because they uh, the team that they allowed to beat them then got into the playoffs just, you know, strictly because of that. There's just too many ways it can go. I think, you know, I understand the owners want to be able to uh, act in their own, in their team's own best interest. But I also think there's an element where like you have an obligation to actually put out a, a decent team every week and try to win your week. This type of strategizing isn't necessarily—I think it, it messes with the competitive balance. But it's personally.
1: vague, you know, because like what what if you just use your roster that you've been using all year, but you just make some intentionally bad start right. sit decisions? Yeah, and you people— You know, it's just
2: vague. People will definitely do that, too. Uh, I mean, at least in that scenario, there's the potential that those backups— do well. Right. But when you start to actually pull guys out of your lineup and take a zero and let somebody else win, that can certainly, that's just a slippery slope. And I think that's a problem. You can start to control who makes the playoffs and all of that. Um, I think like if you beat a guy who's in, you know, one place out of the playoffs earlier in the year, and then you give a victory the week before the playoffs to the guy that ends up getting in the playoffs ahead of him, he has a right to be pretty frustrated that he lost to you head to head, and then you gave away a free victory to someone else. It's almost like you have an, an obligation to the league to try to beat both of those guys. Yeah,
1: I know. It's just I, I, you got to figure out a way to make like actual parameters. What does tanking look like? What is allowed? What is not allowed? So it's it's a uh, it's a tough one. And then if you want to know the result of this, uh, I it worked. I beat him in the semifinals and would definitely have have lost to the other two guys, and then I won the championship the next week. Had I not tanked, the math says I would have ended the season fourth instead of first. So, I don't think we gave a a solid... You basically said tanking's bad. I'm sort of on the fence. Like, you've sort of earned the right as a fantasy owner to do what you want. It happens in the NFL all the time. I mean, NFL teams tank in Week 17, and it could have serious playoff implications. You know what? The other teams should have done better in the first however many games of the regular season in fantasy or first 15 games of the regular season in real football, if they didn't want to have to have their fate left up to teams that might be in uh bench mode, I won't say tank, but bench mode to stay healthy for the playoffs. So I would say that if you want to have, you know, a strict definition of what is allowed, then that's good. But if not, I kind of lean towards like, it sucks. It's kind of anti-competitive, but it's okay. And you just have to deal with it.
2: In this scenario, I would be way more okay with it because it didn't impact anyone else. He said the top four teams had clinched, right, so now right. he's just he's making a decision in his own best interest that doesn't necessarily screw over anybody else, and I think that's fine. But I just think he's it's kind nice of a guy. slippery slope.
1: What a nice guy Ben is. He just doesn't want anybody else to be upset. Ben, we appreciate it. Thanks so for much it's... for listening, everybody. We have been the Fantasy Regulators, and this is Fantasy Football Today. Enjoy the rest of preseason football over the weekend. Wide receiver preview when we come back on Monday. Take it easy. For Ben Gretsch and Dave Richard, I'm Adam Azer. We'll talk to you Monday.